Listener Production. G'day, it's Rusty here, all set for part two of my podcast with Ryan Walkinshaw. Like racing, this one is a bit of a sprint compared to other eps, so we will do another catch-up with him further down the track. There is some great stuff in part one, so if you haven't checked it out yet, jump back to the Rusty's Garage Library and hit the start button. Why Monaco isn't quite ready for his crazy Bathurst hair, the different approach he takes to management compared to his famous father, and we reminisce about a cool car from the 80s that he has a soft spot for. There's even some audio from the Channel 7 archive in there that they kindly gave us. We begin part two by talking about star driver Chaz Mostert and the mission to lure him to the Walkinshaw Andretti United outfit. His character and his focus on what he wants to achieve and is, is really what drove us towards uh, Chaz. And I've known Chaz ever since he was in Super 2, right? So I've, I've known him for a long time. I've seen him develop. Um, I've always liked him, I've always thought he was a good driver. Uh, I always thought he was a very quick driver that made too many mistakes, but as he's got older, you know, he's, he's really refined himself into, uh, into you know, a, a, a real potential championship winning driver. And um, it was actually a couple of years before we ended up getting Chaz. I was with uh, Dave Ellis, who was his manager, I think at the time. And uh, I sort of, I was at Gold Coast and I asked him, I said, when's Chaz off of contract? He's like, oh, what are you guys, what are you guys uh, interested in? You've got another two years with your drivers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but... I just want to know. He's like, oh, I still got a couple of years left. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to make sure that you understand that Chaz is going to drive for my team uh, in two years' time. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see, and all that sort of stuff. Like, no, 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 he's, he's, we're going to get him in our team. It took a little bit of convincing. I mean, you know, we, we, we still weren't where we are today um, uh, back then, and you know, there was still some, a lot of work that we needed to do. But um, you know, I met with Chaz a couple of times and, and uh, explained to him what the vision was. And you know, we got Michael and Zach to meet with him as well. Um, and uh, you know, they managed to, to sell the dream as well and, and, and you know, explain what our hopes and dreams were and what our ambitions were. And more importantly, I think how we were going to do it. And uh, Chaz got it. And you know, we were under some pretty, uh, pretty stiff competition. There was a, uh, Another very successful outfit at the time um, that had some, uh, some some big shell logos on their cars that were chasing Chaz as well uh, quite aggressively. And you know, it was definitely not easy convincing a driver to come to our team when you know, you've got the, at the time the, the number one team in pit lane having a big crack at him as well. Um, but, you know, Chaz, uh, you know, the demonstration of his character, which is exactly one of the reasons we wanted him was... Um, you know, he didn't want to just go and sit in a car that was already winning, and everyone just sits there and says, "Oh, you know, he's in, uh, he's in the, he's in the championship winning car. Of course, he's going to be fast." He wanted to come to a team and build a story because um, he thinks there's more value in that, and and I agree. And that's what he's doing. Um, yeah, he's, he's a great, great leader in the team. He's a good character. Um, he doesn't take life too seriously, uh, and he's a he's a he's a great role model for for, for kids and. Uh, that's exactly what we want our team to be. You know, we don't want to be the, the serious, boring, antiseptic team. Um, we want to be the, the team that you know, people realise is you know, a team that people actually enjoy going racing in. I think that's quite important. I think that there's some longevity in that, which will hopefully uh, you know, stand the test of time. And uh, as a character, you know, what he demonstrates, uh, what he is on the outside to the fans, uh, I think is a pretty good demonstration of what we feel we are as a team on the inside. How did it feel, though, to lose Lee Holdsworth? Because 
he's done an amazing job in 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 the you know all the pieces of the puzzle that we've just covered. He did an amazing job um, during Bathurst week for you guys, didn't he? I mean, uh, so I mean, he's obviously gone for for an opportunity to get back in a in a full time sense now. But was it was that a hard one to swallow, or did you go with your blessing? No, to be honest, it, it wasn't hard at all. Uh, yeah, Lee's a great guy. He's been in our team as a as a main game driver before, and he and he did a fantastic job for us and helped us win Bathurst and. You know, um, co-drivers do matter at Bathurst quite a lot, and Lee demonstrated just how important it is to get a good, a good, uh, a good co-driver, and he did, he did an absolutely, you know, <laughs> incredible job to be honest. So when he got the opportunity to go back into the main game, we weren't annoyed at all. We we're actually very happy for him. Um, so we we had a contract for another year, but we just let him out of it and said, um, you know, well done, dude, you deserve it. Go and have another crack at the main game, and you know that's what you should be doing. So we we're happy for him. Uh, respect on the release, mate. That's cool. In the rebuild that you've you've talked about, I mean, the likes of Adam Debore has come in. There are other people as well. You've ticked Bathurst. You've targeted other things you want to achieve. What other other elements do you need still to bring to the table, or do you feel like in the war chest you have all the things now, and and it's just it's just to to continue um, the finesse and all of that, the the gelling and all of that. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think we're nearly there. I mean, it's you never know, and uh, it's it's you know we came third in the drivers championship and we came uh, was it fourth in the in the teams championship so there's still work to do um, but um, I think we're nearly there and I think this year our big focus is going to be on teams championship obviously we're going to be fighting for drivers championship as well but you know we do we do know how incredibly consistent and, and uh, impressive Shane is as a driver and Anton will probably only get better in, in his in his, uh, in his in this new season as well. Um, but uh, in Teams Championship, I think we've really got an opportunity. And that was one of the key drivers for us getting Nick Perkat in and uh, Slater in as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, getting another car there. You know, Bryce has been fantastic, but, you know, we, we, we felt that we really needed a, a driver that was, um, you know, hitting his, uh, his, his peak as a driver to come in as a second, as a second driver uh, alongside Chaz. Um, and we want, you know, Chaz and Nick to push each other. And, um, and we went getting that from having a young driver with an older driver. Uh, and we felt that making that change was going to be quite important. So I think we have got most of the ingredients there to you know, bake our cake, if that makes sense. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of hard work that goes into it. And it's an incredibly competitive championship. So just because we've now got all the ingredients we've been working towards, um, you know, there's still a lot of work that goes in the background to be able to try and accomplish what we want to do. And other teams will also be, you know, doing a lot of work in the background to try and leapfrog other teams. You know, you've also got you know, teams like Erebus that we're really... Um, you know, hitting their bootstraps towards the end of the season. Um, you know, Cam Waters at Tickford will be a threat for sure. Um, and, um, you know, by the end of the season, you'll probably see Brock Feeney, you know, in and around fighting for the podiums as well, um, because there's no there's no doubt that, you know, him jumping in that car is, is, is going to have a, he's gonna have a pretty good, you know, set of wheels underneath him to, uh, to have a crack at a, at, a, at a few races with. So, you know, the competition is still going to be really, really high. Um, but we've just got to keep focusing on ourselves and, and trying to do what we can do as best as we can and um, hope that going in with, with you know, two uh, strong drivers and a really strong engineering team um, is going uh, is, is to reap rewards and um, you know, pray for a bit of luck because you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. Um, you know, it's like there's always an element of luck in sport and that's one of the reasons we love it. Will that take a little bit of management, the the two strong drivers, or do you feel like it won't necessarily be a fireworks scenario? Yeah, everyone keeps saying that, but I mean, we, um, yeah, I, I, 
Chaz is a is a pretty good professional, and um, and you know Nick has shown himself to be quite a good leader over at BJR as well. I mean they were they were uh, allegedly quite upset to have lost him, and you don't you're not really generally upset with losing a driver if he's a complete dickhead. So um, yeah, I think I think Nick is, uh, is was quite um, fiery when he was young, should we say? Um, and you know he'll, he'll be the first to admit that was one of the reasons why you know we uh, he, he didn't continue his journey with us. But he's really matured as a driver since then. Um, he's become much more of a leader. He's mellowed out a lot, um, and uh, he's he's very very motivated to to give this a proper a proper crack. You know, he, he probably knows that this is one of his last opportunities to really um, show everyone else what he feels he's capable of. And I think a lot of people think he's always been capable of, but hasn't been able to show it with the machinery or teams that he's been in. Um, so I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, you know, he may not. It's motorsport, and, and you know, all sorts of things happen. But um, I believe that he's um, he's really going to. You know, put some of the doubters uh, into bed and um, and show people what he's capable of. And I think if he does that, you know, he's going to push Chaz as well. And um, you know, Chaz is in the absolute peak of his career. Um, we already know that he's a great driver. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, having Nick and Chaz together, um, you know, will push Chaz to become a champion. And uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Nick will be fighting fighting with him for that title as well. Sport's gone through a significant change in the last um, couple of months, obviously from the the sale of the business side of things and the way that it is, uh, the way that it is, you know, uh, the way that it operates now. What's your immediate impression of the the new leadership group? What do you what do you think? And what are you what are you looking forward to as we move into to this next phase as as an owner, as a team owner? I think some reinvigoration and just a new a new plan and a new uh, a new goals that we want to try to achieve as, as a championship. I think. Um, you know, with the previous ownership structure, um, I think you know, it got to a point where um, we sort of felt a little bit in limbo with what the sport wanted to be going forward. Um, you know, with the exception of a few things like Gen 3, which, you know, still probably wasn't as done as best as it could have been. And, you know, it was delayed several times and partly COVID related, partly um, related to a few other different challenges. Um, but I'm excited to see a new a new vision for what we want the sport to become. Um I think it's interesting that there's going to be uh, a more natural alignment with some other me- uh, motorsport categories in Australia, trying to essentially create a super category for supercars um, alongside Seven as a, as a supporting partner in Fox. Um, and uh, I think there's some potential there. If it's done right, it could be very, very, very impressive and it could add additional value to the events and to the TV product that we that we sell to the customers. Um, uh, this morning, there was news that Shane Howard's going to be the new CEO from Supercars, which I think is a great move. I was really gunning for Shane, and uh, I made that my, my my thoughts to the new ownership group uh, very clear um, a few weeks ago, uh, or even more than that, that um, I felt that if they were going to be making a change with, with Sean, that Shane should be the guy that should run it. Um, and I believe that Shane's uh, the most obvious candidate to lead that role. And, um, you yeah, uh, he's he's got all the runs on the board. He's got all the knowledge of the sport. Uh, I would have been more concerned if they come in and uh, put someone from uh, ARG in charge or put someone from outside of motorsport with a category in charge because we've done that several times and it hasn't really always worked. I think Sean's, uh, Sean, Sean did a really, really good job through very challenging uh, conditions. And I think uh, James Warburton was, was very, very good as well. Before that, you know, we had a few uh, a few duds and... Um, and uh, you know, it's hard when you've got something which is as complex as supercars is, and uh, and it's not just complex because it's a motorsport category, which is always a little bit complicated anyway. But you know, you're dealing with all the the political complexity uh, of having events in all the different states, 
and so on. It's 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 not something you can just learn and pick up very very quickly. So having someone like Shane, who's already got that experience, has already been in all the meetings, already knows all the people in the sport and all the different stakeholders of supercars across Australia, um, knows all the premiers from all the different states and everything. You know, I think that's a really really good move. So I'm quite excited about that, and um, I'm excited to see what happens with Gen Three. You know, we've been racing these old donkeys around for quite a while, so I'm quite excited to. Uh, but, you know, to uh, to see what, what what happens next, and I think that the Camaro and the Mustang look really really good. Um, you know, the Mustang is a is an obvious improvement on what the current Mustang looks uh, looks like aesthetically, and um, you know, bringing the Camaro in, you know, walking ashore with a group that uh, brought Camaro into Australia uh, on the road car side of things. Um, so you know, there's, there's, it's very nice to be able to see that you know that all that effort that went in the background over those years of, of selling them here has you know has resulted in. You know that being the, the the first choice for GM to uh, to race uh, in supercars as well. So uh, I think that's going to be uh, going to be exciting to just have a nice refresh of the products of the cars that are actually racing around. And uh, who knows, maybe there'll be a couple more manufacturers that'll be able to jump in now. Um, you know, with the new, uh, the new the new structure that we have in place with Gen Three and the clarity that we now have over those regulations going forward. If anyone would like to see Ryan's hair, which, as a computer-generated program, I must say has dazzled me, head to Rusty Socials, or Listener Socials. Be warned though, it's extremely blonde. And just for the record, I'm saying extremely in all caps. That leads me to a couple of questions that I asked from uh, listeners via social media, um, and we've tackled a number of them in this conversation here. But one, um, one of them, um, uh, Aaron Ivory, I think it is, has asked which manufacturers um, have expressed interest. Are there any? I mean, there's been talk about that, you know, that Jaguar story and and so on. Um, but can you see can you see more manufacturers wanting to get involved based on what we saw unveiled at, at Bathurst, and what's the likelihood? It's hard because the, we've, we've spoken to probably six manufacturers and we've got NDAs with all of them, so I can't tell you who they are. <laughs> okay, um, but, that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, there's there's speculation out there, and there's and there's generally not speculation um, with the detail that there has been, you know, without a bit of uh, you know smoke without fire. So um, uh, I can't talk about anything that we're doing, but uh, the, the big feedback we've had from a uh, if I take a step back and I'm not specific about anything. I can probably say that you know the the key feedback that we had previously was um, a lack of clarity on the Gen Three guidelines and what that was going to look like. That's now resolved. We know what Gen Three is. We know what that's going to look like. We've now got two Gen Three car prototypes zooming around. So um, you know that concern from a manufacturer perspective is 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 now is now gone or at least massively diminished. And the um, the second one, which is actually what killed one program, which we were. 95% of the way to uh, to accomplishing was was covid so you know we had all the okays from um from pretty much everyone in that business it was getting going to the board to get signed off internationally and um uh, a week before that was going to get signed off um covid was exploding and yeah like a lot of manufacturers not just from from motorsport perspective most from their own product um uh development perspectives you know they they put the handbrake on and uh didn't want to go and take any additional risk whilst uh, COVID was in its uh, early days and the, and the world didn't know what it was going to look like. And, you know, there was some pretty, uh, there was some pretty, uh, you know, big concerns about how COVID was going to impact, 
impact the world at that time. And you know, understandably, they decided to, to get risk off. And um, to be honest, I would have probably done the same if I was them. Um, there's no need spending millions of dollars in something uh, unless it's absolutely critical, especially when you're concerned if you're going to be able to keep your manufacturing plants open. So um, that was disappointing. Um, I think for us, you know, we're going to have to make a decision on, on who we go with pretty quickly. Um, we've got a pretty fair idea on what we're going to do. Um, but uh, we probably need to commit because, you know, the longer that we wait, um, you know, the longer that, uh, you know, the less time you really have to try and understand what car you've got and what engine you've got and the development work that is going to go into uh, 2023. And, you know, there's some big changes there in what we're going to be racing in, 20, in Gen 3. Uh, so getting getting on the front foot and knowing what product you're going to race and uh, and and start doing the background work on, on how you're going to race it is pretty important that we understand what that is in the next few months, really. How have you gone through the whole um, adaption phase, mate, in in not just I'm not talking in a racing sense here. You've talked about COVID, but I mean, in the last few years, we've seen you know the demise of Holden. There's you know the 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 way you've um, uh, shifted the business in many respects. Just just talk us through that very briefly and how um, satisfying that has been, and yet at the same time, how challenging that has been. Um, oh, it's been hugely challenging. I mean, I remember when we got told that Holden was was. Uh, was going to stop manufacturing here, and yeah, so we've got a we've got a great relationship with GM and Holden. But naturally, how these big corporates work is when there's a big, you know, world-changing decision like that for them, they don't they don't even tell their close partners until quite late in the day, even though all the writing was on the wall when we've been warmed up to it. Um, but, you know, sort of you know half an hour before the press conference, you know, just courtesy call, letting you guys know that this is what the press conference is. And we're like, that's that's okay, that's cool. We'd already been told by six journalists already <laughs> about four hours ago that this was going to happen, but. Um, you know, thank you for, for letting us know. And uh, then afterwards, you have to sort of the information that goes into uh, into how that's going to happen and what that means to your business. And um, you know, quite honestly, you know, they were, the, the the discussion was very much around, okay, well, you know, how are you guys going to close down your business because we've got no product for you? I was like, well, I'd rather not do that to be honest. Um, let's try and find a solution to continue. Unfortunately, we did. And um, you know, full credit to to, to Mark Royce and to. Uh, and to Mark Bernard uh, in particular from, from Holden at the time, um, you know, there's a lot of work that went into giving us the opportunity um, to continue our business uh, doing, uh, doing sports cap and doing the conversion work. Um, and we'd already managed to demonstrate our capability there by already having done three years under our belt with Ram and Ram already being a big success um, with our partnership with the Tico and Neville Crichton. So, um, you know, because we already had the runs on the board, I think they gave GM the confidence to let us do something to their cars that they've never let anyone do before. Um, and from there, it's just it's just continued growing. Um, and uh, you know, now we've got VW as another partner. Um, you know, we'll have several more partnership announcements over the course of the next eighteen months, um, which hopefully will surprise a few people. And um, and you know, it's it, the business has, has grown through a period of time when, you know, to be honest, I think most people thought we were gonna we were gonna fall over. Um, so we've grown from about 200 employees to over a thousand employees now, and we've gone from doing sort of 2,500 HSVs a year to this year doing uh, yeah, nearly 10,000, and then that will continue to increase. I can't I can't say what our numbers are going forward, but um, um, yeah, you, you, you'd be uh, you'd be wise to bet on those going up significantly over the next couple of years, um, which is which is pretty exciting. So we're now the largest automotive company in, in Australia. And uh, we could, you know, a few years ago, we were saying that we were doing sort of 4,000. It was a bit of a spurious claim because it was just because we didn't have GM and Ford and Toyota building cars here anymore. But 
um, you know, the volumes that we're going to be doing going forward, um, you know, across the group, especially with caravans as well, you know, it will be, uh, will be quite significant, which is great. And, you know, just keeping, keeping jobs that we've already have whilst, you know, continuing to be searching for, for more and more employees is, is, is a great position to be in, you know, considering where we've come from. Uh, most definitely. Some of that stuff might go hand in hand, but just give us a broad brush for a moment then in terms of uh, how much time for you is automotive and how much time is racing and what's what's the staffing that you must look after in, in total terms now? Uh, in, in total terms, we've got over 1,000 employees nearly. Um, by the end of the year, they'll probably be closer to 1,100, 1,200. Um, and uh, my time is spelt wherever I'm, I'm needed. If, if things are running smoothly, um, my time I spend on a business uh, becomes less and, and I normally get pulled in when things are going wrong as opposed to when things are going right because when things are going right, you know, it's all gravy and it's it's nice and not relaxed, but, you know, it's, it's everything's under control. You know, you, you, it's uh, things are you know, relatively comfortable and, um, and uh, yeah, my, my time normally comes into things when, you know, when there's challenges that need to be accomplished and there's... Uh, and but the one thing that is is the is the you know bends the rule a little bit there is obviously motorsport and like any sport you know that's when there's a uh, an additional level of passion and competition that comes into things and especially when you've got things like motorsport where there's all sorts of little challenges that come into into play um, which you weren't expecting especially over the last couple of years you know I do end up spending uh, probably a, a unfair amount of my time considering the size of the business in, in the motorsport team um, but even in saying that. Uh, considering the amount of time that I used to spend previously because of the um, the the way that it was managed or the or the lack of management or, or you know that we that we had at times um, but the way that Bruce is running the race team um, you know has been a has been a revelation because you know there's a huge amount of work that goes into it with me and Bruce and we work very closely together and you know we're personally you know friends as well so we do spend a lot of time together even outside of the race team but He's running such a good ship there at the moment. Um, you know, it's becoming less and less of a, of, a, of a requirement for me to be in there day in, day, day, in, day out, which is, which is really, really good. And it's how it should be um, because that's how the other businesses run as well. Um, so, you know, testament to what a good job Bruce is doing um, in that race team because, uh, you know, it's the most comfortable and relaxed and organized. And, um, you know, there's always challenges and shit going wrong because that's just the, the nature of the beast. But... Um, you know, there's a lot of confidence that we've got the right people there to you know, make the right decisions. Um, well, I do at least. Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> hope that answered the question. <laughs> no, you did. You did. Couple to couple to finish here because you need to go for a cycle with some friends. Uh, you, you you mentioned in your last answer there about the importance of people, right? People in the right place and so on. And and uh, you know, clearly the way you look after those relationships, and even earlier in the podcast about how you uh, perhaps do things differently to to your dad, for example. Even even for me, Ryan, um, you know. Uh, losing James Courtney, for example, as a, as a driver from the squad, but you've kept a good relationship with him um, away from the track, it would seem. Did that go through a, a difficult period and, and, you know, you kind of worked it out or was it that something that you just, you amicably walked away from the pair of you? Um, it was pretty amicable. I mean, I mean, um, James, James was pretty good about it. I mean, like always, you're going to have a little bit of friction when those sort of situations occur when, when it's, when it really happens. But by the end of the season, you know, we were all hugging, you know, crying and grabbing each other in the last race in, uh, in Newcastle and all that sort of thing. So, you know, I've known James ever since I've been, uh, ever since I took over the business. So, um, you know, I've been pretty close to him for, for a while and we'll continue to stay friends. Uh, 
Yeah, and he's and he's a good guy, but I think we both knew that we needed a change. It wasn't it wasn't working. Um, he he just said the same thing, and he's you know gone and and done some good stuff at Tickford since he's left. And you know we've obviously uh, made a lot of changes at our place and have gone a different direction. Have, have had some good success as well. So um, I think we both know is knew it was the right decision, but that doesn't change how you can you know remain and have a good relationship away from that. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's also one of the guys that was you know the first to sort of message us when we went Bathurst and say he was happy to see us win and stuff like that. So you know the relationship is still good there. And to be honest, I think most people in supercars get on with each other. There's only a few dickheads that people don't like. I think most people are actually quite friendly with each other. <laughs> so true, so true. A great family. Hey, uh, a documentary series um, is is something that uh, fans can now see and have been looking forward to. What can you tell us about Inside Line? Tell us about that. It was one of those things we wanted to do inside line. And we actually did a documentary series on our team back, I think, 2013 um, with, uh, with the guys from AME. And, um, and, and that was okay. And it was, it was, it was, it was um, it, I don't think it got very good ratings um, because I don't think, you know, we put the, it didn't have the support of Fox and Supercars fully behind it, whereas this obviously did. Um, and I think the great thing about our, our season of inside line is. Uh, it's not just about a, a racing team going racing and having a season. Um, it, it turned it turned into a story about how a racing team survives through the chaos of COVID, because we started filming, you know, four weeks before COVID started smashing the world, and um, you know the whole story is about how we, how the team went through all the chaos and carnage that happened in the you know, in that in that 2020 season uh, and part of 2021. So. It's a very, very cool documentary. It's now on YouTube, I think, as well, on the Supercars YouTube, I think. Um, so anyone, anyone can watch all, all, all six episodes for free and, uh, and, and on demand. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say it's worth watching. It, we, we've tried, we've, when we went into it, we had a decision, and the decision we made was it's got to be authentic, it's got to be real, and we've got to actually show people the, the bad sides of what goes on in the team. Because when you, I think when you have that authenticity, people, uh, they respect and they, and they, and they, and they understand what uh, what you're trying to achieve a lot better, you know. It's when you try and you know cut things out that maybe you know put your put what you're saying, what you're doing in the background in a, in a potentially negative light. Um, I think people see right through that these days. People want to have authentic uh, authentic experience, and they want to see true fly on the wall, you know, warts and all. And uh, I think Drive to Survive does that quite well in Netflix, even if it's a little bit over dramatized sometimes. Um, but you still see, you know, when shit goes wrong, you still see firsthand, you know, what the response is. And sometimes it's not pretty, but that's what people want to see. They don't want to have the antiseptic view of the world. They want to have the real, you know, warts and all version of the of the world. And I think that's what we uh, accomplished in Inside Line. You know, we've, we've given people exactly what, what exactly what you see is exactly what's, uh, what happens behind the scenes. Um, and uh, I think that's why it's been quite successful. There's some good feedback because I think people appreciate the honesty um, and they respect that. Finally... Do you have a little emotional attachment to that car that won Bathurst? You've talked about the business side of it, about pre-selling it and so on, but will you always look back with this sense of fondness about the machine now, knowing all the work that went into it uh, by that group of people? And what has been for you uh, the biggest driver in the fight back? Was it was it losing HRT to Triple Eight? What was it that has driven this this? comeback uh well for me it's always been that you know i wanted to accomplish the same feats that my father has and um he was a competitive bastard and so am i so uh and you know he'll 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 be ha- he would be happy to know that i want to beat him as much as he, you know, he probably would have <laughs> wanted to beat me if i was in his position so i've still got a long way to go to do that and because he was he was phenomenally successful in things but 
um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be second best in anything that I do. So I've always wanted to do that, um, you know, to make him proud, but also, you know, to show people that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm capable and, and can achieve some, some pretty cool things. But, um, yeah, the car itself is, is obviously very special. And, uh, but at the same time, um, yeah, I don't, I don't fall in love with objects. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm focused on running the business. You always gonna have an emotional attachment to it, but, um, yeah, it's still just a car. What's, the emotional attachment, the emotional attachments, and what I feel that that went into that car is all the people in the team that you know created it and uh, turned it into a machine that won that that weekend. It's not just Chaz and uh, and Lee and and Debore, but it's you know it's, it's all the mechanics, it's all the guys in the PR team, it's it's everyone around it. It's even people who are ancillary to the race team. Um, you know, a lot of there's a lot of human beings that go into turning that car into what it managed to accomplish. Um, so I think the emotional attachment and you know the the way that I feel is, is more of a pride in what they what they did to turn that car into what it was as opposed to the the machine itself if that makes sense the machine is only one part of the story but the real story is the human beings behind it. Congratulations, mate. The win was mighty. Um, it's been super to catch up with you. We, you. Could, we could talk for for uh, a lot longer. Best wishes for for 2022 for you and the team. Keep up the fun stuff on socials. We love the jibes with Pete Addington and, uh, <laughs> and all that stuff. But please promise us, no mohawks, right? No mohawks. No, 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 don't worry. <laughs> Let Chaz know that. <laughs> cool. Take care. All Thanks right. again. Thank you very much. Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series editor and producer is Ed Gooden. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. If you've got a guest suggestion, get in touch with me via social media. The Garage. It's where a journey begins with a tank full of passion-fueled stories. Listener.